Our scripture lesson is taken from the Gospel of John, page 1,226 in the Pew Bible. John chapter 5, I'll begin reading at verse 18 and read through the uh, end of the chapter with particular attention to verses 31 through the end of the chapter. Verses 31 through 47 is the text for today. But I'll begin reading at verse 18 of John chapter 5. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these, that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my words and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the grave will hear the voice, hear his voice, and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. I can of myself do nothing, as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will but the will of the Father who sent me. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. You have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Yet I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was the burning and shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. But I have a greater witness than John's, for the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me, that the Father has sent me. And the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form, but you do not have, but you do not have his word abiding in you, because whom he sent, him you do not believe. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me, that you may have life. I do not receive honor from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. 
But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Thus far the reading of God's word, may he add his blessing to it. Beloved of the Lord, in the verses leading up to our text, Jesus makes some fantastic claims. He affirms that he and the Father are one, united in all things, united in words, united in works, in deeds, united in witness, united in granting of life, united in making judgment. Jesus claims to be equal to the Father, so equal to the Father that he deserves the same honor as the Father, and that if you refuse to honor Jesus, you dishonor the Father as well. These are pretty fantastic claims, claims which ring down through the centuries and come to us today and are before you as well as a matter to either be believed or not be believed. Now, I trust that since most of you are professing Christians, most of you do believe these claims that Jesus is one with the Father and that he speaks the Father's words, he does the Father's works, and that as the Father has life in himself, so the Son has life in himself, and that at the voice of Jesus, uh, those who believe have passed from death to life and uh, are no longer under condemnation. But, though I trust most of you believe that, I would not be so naive as to think that everyone here or everyone listening by electronic means uh, has uh, equal faith in these things. And it is often the case that even in the life of a believer, there are times when we begin to wonder and to have some doubts. Should we really believe these things? Or it may be that you say, yes, I believe, but you're not sure why you believe these things. And because you're not sure why, you're reticent about your faith before the world. You, you're afraid to make your faith known because someone might ask you, why do you believe those fantastic claims that Jesus of Nazareth makes with regard to God the Father being equal with him and worthy of the same divine honor? How can you hold to such things? Because you are afraid that you might be asked, you may remain reticent and keep your light under a bushel. Well, in our text, beginning at verse 31, Jesus speaks to his audience at that time about their unbelief. They don't believe what he's saying. And so he tries to uh, help them to come to greater faith so that they might believe by showing them why they ought to believe. And in his address to these doubters, he also addresses believers and unbelievers today as to the reasons why we ought to have faith in Jesus. Having faith in him means trusting him. And that trust is not a blind trust. The Christian faith is not a blind leap in the dark. Uh, it's uh, faith for a reason. Trusting in a person 
for good reasons to trust in him. Now, Jesus begins with a rather startling statement in verse 31, where he says, If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. He's saying that if I'm the only one who tells you these things, you ought not to believe me. Now, what's he talking about there? Well, he's talking about more than just the law of Moses that says, let everything be established in the presence of two or three witnesses. It's included in that. But in the context, there's much more to it than that. He's saying here, I've just claimed to be one with the Father, and that uh, whatever I say is what I hear the Father saying. Whatever I do is what I see the Father doing. He has emphasized his unity with the Father. And he's saying now, if the Father doesn't support me, if if I alone am saying these things and the Father isn't with me in them, then you ought not to believe me. It would be like if a minister were to stand up here, like myself, and tell you something, that you've never heard before, something that doesn't come from the Bible, something that isn't in our confessions, something that no Reformed theologian down through the ages has ever uttered, some new idea which comes to you on the authority alone of Ralph Pontier. He alone says it to you. You can't find collaboration or confirmation in the scriptures, in the confessions, in other ministers or theologians. He's the only one who tells you it. Well, if ever I should do that, you shouldn't believe me. Uh, God always provides confirmation for his servants when they bring a word uh, from him. Uh, Ministers are credentialed. We require our ministers to have a thoroughgoing theological and reformed education, and at the end of their education, they are uh, tested very carefully to make sure that their thinking and their words are in accord and their life is in accord with what the Scripture says it should be, and not only the Scripture, but especially the Scriptures as summarized by the Reformed Confessions. And uh, they have to pass uh, an ordination or a, a candidacy exam and often also an ordination exam. And once ordained, they have to go undergo the weekly uh, supervision of the elders, whose job in part is to ensure that the minister doesn't deviate from the scriptures and from the confessions and from the teaching of the church down through the ages, that his teaching is in accord with godliness and uh, with uh, what has already been revealed and made known. Well, the same is true with Jesus. If he alone were to speak and there was no confirmation from any other source, then he ought not to be believed. But, he says in the next verse, there is another who bears witness of me, and I know that, his, that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. 
He's referring there to his father. His father has provided confirmation. And uh, the father has provided all kinds of confirmation. And he delineates three uh, confirmations as to why the Jews of his day should believe Jesus' claims to be one with the Father and to be worthy of equal honor with the Father and why his words ought to be believed so that they have eternal life. And the first uh, witness that the Father has provided is John the Baptist. He says in verse 33, You have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Now, that witness, uh, he says, wasn't for me. Uh, I didn't learn who I was from him. That's what verse 34 is about. Yet I do not receive testimony from men, but I say these things that you might be saved. Now, John was out there for the sake of the people. He was there to bear witness. Uh, there is uh, in uh, uh, earlier in this uh, gospel, we read in John 1, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. You know, the, uh, the crowds came and the religious leaders came and sent their representatives to John to listen to what he had to say. And John was the one who identified Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the one, he said, uh, upon whom I saw the Spirit descend as a dove. He is the Spirit-anointed Son of God. Uh, he is the one, uh, John says, who, though he comes after me, came before me, referring to the eternal nature of uh, the divine nature of Christ. Uh, the sandals of whom I am unworthy to untie. Uh, he's the one who will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Uh, John's ministry was one that the people delighted in. We read in verse 35 of our text, he was the, the burning and shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. You know, the, the crowds came, all Israel came to John the Baptist in the wilderness. John was proclaiming the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the King, the coming of the kingdom, the coming of judgment. He uh, uh, pronounced uh, that uh, with the coming one would be the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And everybody got excited. They were delighted to listen to John. John who pointed them to Jesus. Now, they were delighted to listen to John, not because he performed great miracles, but they saw a man who had been transformed by the power of God. You know, he lived a, a unique kind of life, a very self-sacrificial life. He lived out in the wilderness. He wore uh, uh, camel's uh, skin and uh, ate locusts and wild honey. Uh, he was strange in that he didn't conform to the standards of the world, but was transformed by the Word of God and became this bright and shining lamp, even though he wasn't the light, nevertheless, uh, the light that lights every man that comes into the world. Jesus is the light, but nevertheless, he's a lamp, a lamp that reflects the light of Jesus in a powerful way. And the people saw his life and heard his words gladly because he was 
He was a, a, a dynamic man to listen to. Now, this is not something that is unique in the annals of Christian history. There are lots of people who have been transformed by the power of the gospel and whose lives bear witness to the truth claims of Jesus. Uh, Paul writing to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians says in chapter 1, We give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy in the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all the Macedonians and Achaia, all who believe. For from you the word of the Lord uh, has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out, so that we don't need to say anything. These people were ordinary Christians. <laughs> they weren't uh, John the Baptist, <laughs> but just ordinary believers in Thessalonica who received the word in the power of the Spirit. Their lives were transformed, and the witness of their lives was such that Paul says, I almost don't have to preach anymore. Your life is, is bearing witness to the gospel and, and to the faith. I'm sure that you have known people who have been transformed by the gospel. People whose lives bear witness to the truth claims because of the self sacrificial way in which they have served you, helped you, encouraged you, and uh, done unexpected kindnesses to you that show that the gospel is real. You know, Jesus said, By this will all men know that you are my disciples, by your love for one another. And I'm sure that many of you have been loved, loved in a way that is Impossible to explain except that the gospel is real. Well, God provided that kind of witness in Jesus' day through the life of John the Baptist, and God continues to provide such witnesses today to the, the truth claims of the Bible, that the Bible is real. You know, Jesus prayed in his high priestly prayer that they may be one, that the church may be united so that the world will know that you sent me. Again, the unity of the body of Christ, the way we live together, the way we love one another, is a witness to the world of the truth of the gospel. The gospel is the message of reconciliation, not just reconciliation between God and sinners, but reconciliation between sinners through Christ. And as the world is reconciled to God and to one another through Christ, the rest of the world sees people getting along with each other who have otherwise nothing in common, all kinds of people from different ethnicities, different uh, skin colors, uh, different ages, different cultural backgrounds, 
can be united in love? How is that? It's because Jesus is real. Jesus says, don't believe me if I say so. But believe because the Father has provided proof of the truth of the gospel in the transformed lives of people like John the Baptist and the, the Thessalonians and, and the people who have loved you self-sacrificially. That's one of the reasons why we believe the claims of Jesus. But then Jesus goes on to say, but I have a greater witness than John. Verse 36, for the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. Here Jesus is referring to the miracles that he has performed. Uh, Peter in his Pentecost sermon says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God, who with mighty works and wonders and signs, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourself know. The miracles of Jesus, all the miracles performed by God's messengers are a matter of historical record open to investigation like all other historical events. The historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is greater than the historical evidence for many other events that we never even think to question. Of course, if you decide ahead of time that miracles are impossible, that there is no such thing as the supernatural, then understand that you are making a religious commitment, not a scientific one. Science cannot disprove the existence of a God above nature. Uh, but the very idea of science, that there is a, an orderly universe that can be studied and made sense of, presupposes a creator God. It presupposes intelligent design. You can't have a consistent universe that makes sense if if nothing, if all that stands behind it is just pure chaos, it would be trying to uh, find meaning in a, a work of art that was created by a blindfolded man throwing paint at a canvas. Uh, if you tried to find meaning in such a work of art, the meaning would have to come from within the mind of the observer. But if the observer is himself the product of chaos, then... Nothing in his mind makes sense either. The only rational explanation for the world in which we live, a world in which we love and search for meaning and purpose, a, a, a world in which we care for one another and where we, we look to uh, accomplish great deeds, the only explanation is that it is a world created by God a God who stands outside the creation and is able to act in the creation either according to ordinary means or without ordinary means or contrary to ordinary means. Uh, he, uh, you know, the universe is like a, a box and everything that he created is inside that box, but he's outside the box and every now and then he reaches in his hand and he does something inside the box. And uh, when he does so, we call that uh, supernatural. Uh, it, it, it makes sense that a God who can create all things out of nothing 
is also able to work all things according to the counsel of his own will and uh, work through ordinary means or without means or even contrary to ordinary means. You know, I was uh, listening uh, to the White Horse Inn this morning when I was uh, getting dressed and uh, I heard an example of miracle. Uh, it, the speaker was saying if, uh, if he had an apple in his hand and he let go of the apple, well, the law of gravity would take over and pull that apple to the ground. But uh, if someone was standing alongside of him and uh, reached out his hand and caught the apple, well, then the apple wouldn't hit the ground. Now, does that violate the law of gravity? No, it doesn't violate the law of gravity. The law of gravity stands. But somebody intervened. Somebody reached into an otherwise closed system me and the apple and the law of gravity, that's the closed system. Somebody outside of that closed system reached in and did something in the closed system that prevented the law of gravity from having its effect on the apple. And that's what God does. God, we are the closed system, the universe, uh, governed by the laws that he created, but he reaches in and he grabs things and does things uh, that we call miracles. Uh, It uh, makes perfect sense. If there is a God who uh, created us as personal, loving creatures, it's not at all irrational to assume that uh, God is a personal God, a loving God, and uh, created us in his own image. Uh, God has given us this witness of the works of Jesus, and not just the works of Jesus, but uh, uh, the works of the disciples also who performed miracles, You know, John writes that toward the end of his gospel, he said, Truly, Jesus did many other signs. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in his book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. The miracles were performed by God through Christ, They're the witness of the Father, a witness that the Father provides. He enables the Son to do these things before crowds. You know, things like raising Lazarus from the dead, feeding 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish, or uh, walking on water. Jesus is able to do these things. Witnesses see it. The enemies of Christ see it, and they, they couldn't deny it. What was the response of the Pharisees to the raising of Lazarus from the dead, not to deny that he had been raised from the dead, but they thought, well, we need to put him to death too. We need to kill Jesus and we need to kill Lazarus to get rid of the evidence of the miracle because they they couldn't deny it. These are all reasons why we ought to believe. But then there's a third reason uh, that we ought to believe, not just the works that he sent, but because he says the Father has testified of me. The Father has testified of me. And here he's referring to Moses and the prophets. He's referring to the scriptures that uh, have been given. In addition to the works that he does, in addition to the power of the gospel to transform lives uh, as proof of the truth of the gospel, God has spoken. God has spoken to men like Moses and told him what to say on God's behalf. He has given visions and dreams 
such as Daniel had dreams in which God revealed future events in symbolic form. Uh, the Apostle John on the Isle of Patmos had visions of heaven and of future events. The most uh, common form is that God uh, simply uh, inspires people to uh, speak words which he wants spoken. We read in Second uh, Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by God. Or Second Peter 1.21, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter says something amazing about uh, the written scriptures. He says in Second Peter 1, uh, uh, he first makes reference to the voice that he and two other disciples heard on the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, they heard the voice of God from heaven on the mountain. But he says, and we have something more sure the prophetic word to which you would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Something more sure. Uh, in other words, you have to, to take John's, uh, Peter's word for it, Peter, James, and John, that they heard this voice from the mountain. You and I didn't hear it. But there's something even more certain, more sure, the prophetic word, which uh, you would do well to pay attention as to a light shining in a dark place. Uh, the prophetic word is the written word. You know, there are over 40 human authors, 66 books written over a period of 1,500 years and inspired by one spirit, a consistent message providing a clear standard for measuring truth. Even if an angel were to appear from heaven and give us a different message, we would have to reject that message because the Bible is clear in its message. The Jewish leadership had John the Baptist. They had the miracles of Jesus. They had the prophetic word. They had no excuse not to believe. But yet they didn't believe. And so we have to ask the question, why is it that, that God supplies a rational basis upon which to build your trust in Jesus? Why is it that people still don't believe? Well, because they miss Christ. That is, they have the revelation, they have the scriptures. He says, you have the scriptures, and you think in them you have life, but, but you've missed me. You know, Moses wrote about me. They, they looked at the scriptures as a rule book, a rule book that would make them wise for salvation by obeying the rules. They thought they could obtain life by obeying the law, so they carefully studied the law and they struggled to obey it. They didn't realize that it was all about Christ. There were predictive prophecies. There were people who were types of Christ, whose lives foreshadowed Christ. There were revelatory events that foreshadowed what Christ would do. And uh, there were laws that anticipated things that Christ would uh, fulfill. Every prophet, priest, and king in the Old Testament pointed to Christ. Every sacrifice pointed to Christ. Every victory, military victory, every judgment uh, against uh, sin pointed to something that would be fulfilled by Christ. You know, in uh, the end of Luke's Gospel, we read, uh, And beginning with, all the Moses, with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. They didn't see that. 
They thought that it was just a rule book. It was lots of do this and don't do that, and if you do this and don't do that, then you will earn the favor of God. Well, it's not just the Jews who miss Christ in the Bible. Uh, We read Paul's letter to the Galatians that though they started well by believing the good news of salvation through faith in Jesus and his atoning work, nevertheless, they fell back into legalism. And down through the ages, the church again and again falls back into legalism. Much of the medieval church fell into legalism. And even today, much of evangelicalism falls into the predominant theme of what would Jesus do? You know, let's base our religion on doing the gospel. We don't need to preach the gospel and, if necessary, use words is a common theme today, meaning that we're supposed to live the gospel, and, and that uh, will uh, fulfill uh, the law of Christ. If we just be good people and uh, loving people, then uh, we will satisfy what God requires of us. Uh, one uh, evangelical pastor uh, wrote that he, for many years, uh, got down on himself because he struggled to be as patient as he saw Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when the disciples fell asleep. He felt that his congregation were a bunch of sleepers, and he wished that he could be as patient with them as Christ was with his disciples when they fell asleep more than once in the Garden. Well, came to realize that uh, his struggle to be as patient as Jesus wasn't The real problem, the problem was that he was the one who was asleep and it was Jesus who was being patient with him and that uh, he was as much in need of grace and forgiveness as his congregation was. When he began to realize that, then he began to truly preach the gospel and call sinners to repentance and to trusting in Jesus. Christ has given us lots of reasons to trust him and to believe in him. He's given you the transformed lives of godly men and women that you know live self-sacrificial life. He's given you the historical record of all his works, which are open to all the uh, to verification by all the standards of historical proof. And he has given you the sure word of scriptures that we need to study and study hard so that we might see Christ in them. That's why you should believe in Jesus. That's why when he makes these fantastic claims of being one with the Father and worthy of the same honor and that believing in his words gives you eternal life, you ought to believe because the gospel has been demonstrated to be true in the lives of others because his miracles testify that he is from God and that the scriptures also point to him and him alone as the one in whom we ought to trust. May God strengthen your faith. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus does not bear witness alone, but that you bear witness to him and have provided many witnesses upon which we can be certain and sure. We thank you, Father, that the gospel has transformed the lives of people all around us and shown us uh, the truth of the gospel. We thank you that we have learned to love one another and that the world can see by our unity and our love that the gospel is true. 
We pray also that we may recognize that you are a powerful God, a supernatural God who reaches down into our lives and that did miracles to authenticate your servants. We thank you that those have been recorded for us in the scriptures, and we thank you that all the scriptures point us to Christ. May we uh, receive these evidences and uh, build our faith uh, upon them, uh, trusting in Christ and Christ alone for our salvation. In his name we pray. Amen.